<clears throat> Welcome back. Today's show is, by the way, guys, uh, if you're hearing my voice sounding raspy, uh, I just woke up, okay, so just deal with it. Uh, I really got to knock this recording out. I, I record the intros and the outros separate than the actual interviews, and I just have been putting this off, and I really got to just knock it out, so... My voice may be uh, raspy, but hopefully it'll get better as I continue talking. Um, today's episode interview with uh, Gary McIntosh, who is the creator of uh, Apple Macintosh computers, the laptops. Just kidding. No, he's not. That'd be pretty cool, though. But he is an employee of Operation Underground Railroad. So Operation Underground Railroad you guys got to Google this, okay, because it's, it's incredible. What they do is they are trying to basically eradicate child sex slavery. And they do this by um, going to f- foreign countries. And this guy who created the company, his name's Tim Ballard, and his team will pose. They go undercover and they pose as people that want to buy uh, children, you know, rent children, child sex slaves from, you know, whoever, whoever is willing to rent them out. And then he basically sets up the sting operation where he busts the people and then rescues the children. And you guys got to check out some of these videos online about uh with some of their operations it's incredible obviously it's a horrible horrible situation but it is very cool to watch how they do that how their process works and how they're able to um, bust these guys and, and free the the children very cool to see um and, and you know very heroic efforts because it's you know it's dangerous these people they have weapons and uh, it's not the best scenario for, for anyone, really. Uh, anyways, this topic was actually kind of top of mind for me because I recently went to a Rotaract uh, club meeting. Rotaract is kind of like a young professionals uh, group that meets and they have speakers come in, business owners, things like that. And one of the speakers that they had at this meeting that I went to um was where they were from two women from a business called Rethreaded. Rethreaded is a local Jacksonville business, and what they do is they make uh, clothing and just kind of like, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like boutique shop, I guess you could, I don't know. They, they produce like scarves and wallets and I think they make like soap and, and all these uh, different things. It's totally self-sustaining. They, they buy the machinery uh, that they use to make them. They buy the raw materials. It's totally self-sustaining. It's a nonprofit. And all of their employees, I think all of their employees are former uh, victims of sex slavery. They're all um, women that are victims. And what they were talking about was how prevalent sex slavery is within the United States. And by the way, guys, obviously you have noticed 
that uh, this episode is, is a little heavy. You know, this topic is a l- little bit heavy. So, um, viewer discretion advised kind of thing. N- maybe not viewer. What's what's the equivalent of listener? Listener listener discretion is advised. I don't know if that applies to pot. You, you you get what I'm trying to say, okay? And Gary and I in their interview don't get really like too graphic or anything like that. So it's not it's really not too bad. But just keep that in mind as we move forward on uh, during this episode. So what was I talking about? All right. So Gary reached out to me. Um, oh, sorry. No, I was talking about the rethreaded thing. Okay. So rethreaded. Um, we're talking about how prevalent the uh, sex slavery situation is within the United States. They're talking about the things that are happening within our own communities, specifically in Jacksonville, which is where I'm located right now. And um, it was really surreal for me to hear these stories because, you know, a lot of times we think of sex slavery as this foreign thing that's happening far away in foreign countries. And, you know, we don't really have to worry about it when in reality it is a lot more prevalent in the States than you would probably think. Um, So it was pretty eye opening for me. And so this topic was kind of top of mind and then just kind of randomly Gary reached out to me on LinkedIn and just kind of a general standard, uh, you know, business connection, networking type of thing, just kind of looking for uh, donations and things like that. And so I I was just kind of like, listen, I don't have the financial means to donate right now, unfortunately, but I do have a platform. It's a very small platform for now, but it is a platform and, uh, you know, we can do the podcast interview and then I'll also record the video, chop it up, edit it for you. And then you can use that to post wherever I'll post it also. And hopefully with all of those things combined, the podcast interview, the social media videos, hopefully we can help you spread your message and spread the message of Operation Underground Railroad, uh, trying to eradicate sex, uh, child sex slavery. So that's what we did. So he jumped on uh, on the interview. I asked him what it's like to work for Tim Ballard, who's the CEO of Operation Underground Railroad, and he's just an incredible individual. I asked him what it's like to approach people for doma- donations and things like that, because this is a pretty taboo topic that is pretty heavy and not a lot of people want to talk about. So how do they approach people? and uh things like that it's a it's a really interesting discussion i hope you guys enjoy it and um yeah that's all i gotta say here's the episode welcome to the show journey over destination another great episode we got gary mcintosh here from Operation Underground Railroad. Say hello to the people, Gary. Hey, everyone. Uh, great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Cool, cool. All right, so let's just dive right in. All right, so um, first of all, I have kind of like some bullet points that I was curious about. Um, and one of them was I saw that you were a grad assistant at Texas State. So what was that? Was that like for a sport or like what was that all about? Yeah, that's a good question, man. That is uh, so hilarious that you brought that up because in my life, that is the only 
position that I have been let go from. <laughs> so um, it was my third job at the time, believe it or not. So I, I had just started interning with a healthcare company, which is ultimately where, where my career led me. Um, I was also working at a local coffee shop. And the third position that I picked up was a grad assistant. I just started my MBA at Texas State and uh, knew some folks who kind of got me the role. And after about six weeks of, you know, grading assignments and things like that, I was called into the professor's office and he just, it was a management professor, no less. And uh, he decided to let me go. So that was a really interesting experience. Um, but it, uh, I guess to specifically answer your question, it was a, uh, it was in the business program. Uh, don't worry. It's, it, don't use that as an indication of, uh, you know, me being lazy or anything like that. I'm still not even really sure the reasons why I was let go, but, uh, but that's what happened with that story. So. Awesome. Um, so why don't you also just give a quick little like synopsis of what you do now currently? I, I should have started with that. My apologies. Just, just for context. So the audience has some context. What you yeah, do. that's great. So, um, I joined up with a nonprofit called operation underground railroad or OUR for short. And I work as a development manager. So my role is to raise awareness about our, our mission and our vision, uh, and also uh, find ways to connect with corporate uh, sponsors and individual donors to, to raise money to serve uh, what our operations are. So we exist to rescue the 2 million children around the world that are stuck right now in uh, one of the darkest places of humanity, in my opinion, which is, which is sex slavery. So uh, these kids are trafficked and they're preyed upon online. And we exist to liberate those children, put them in an aftercare situation where they can start their, their healing journey. And we've been doing that for about six years now. Okay. And so is it always in, cause I, I do follow um, like Tim, Tim is the CEO, right? Or the founder. Our founder and CEO, yeah, Tim Tim Ballard. He uh, he spent about 12 years in the Department of Homeland Security, uh, where he was working in a specific task force called Internet Crimes Against Children, yeah. and that's where his eyes were really open to a lot of the issues right now with trafficking and how that affects kids. Um, and uh, about six years ago, he actually left his role in the department. Um, for, for some reasons that, that we may or may not get into here, but basically uh, he was able to, to find these kids and in, in all around the world in other countries where there might not have been a U.S. jurisdiction for him to do, do something about rescuing them. And so um, he, he really ultimately came to the um, conclusion that he might be able to do a little bit better if, if he left uh, his pension, his job, his salary, his comfort to start this nonprofit and actually go and, and rescue these kids around the world. So yeah, Tim Ballard is our CEO and, and our founder, uh, and he set an amazing example for us as an organization uh, and still very active today. Nice. That's awesome. What is, uh, what's your favorite and your least favorite part of working for him? For working for Tim? Yeah. Well, he is a driven, driven, driven man. Um, and so he sets a tempo and a pace that is, is really challenging to, uh, to aspire to. And it, it's sort of a double-edged sword, right? It, it keeps us uh, you know, on, on the, the tip of the spear in, in terms of pushing ourselves personally and professionally. Um, and at the same time, you know, he can, uh, he can, you know, 
run so fast that you just you find yourself huffing and puffing to to catch up and and stay on beat there so um that that's what i would say that that double that dichotomy of uh you know really setting a tempo and a pace that's going to ultimately lead to changing lives but then also what that might do to you personally uh right. sometimes you can you can get a little wary and ragged <laughs> i got gotcha. you cool um so i also noticed on your linkedin um you were I forget what the official position was called, but at um, Centrix Group, you were, it said you were like a liaison, like a middleman between the CEOs, CFOs, COOs. What did you, what do you think was the most interesting part of being like in between those different personalities and those different like, um, you know, what do you call them? Um, I'm having a brain fart here, but you know what I mean? Like what, what was the most interesting part of being surrounded by those different individuals? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I was in a couple roles just before OUR. Uh, one of them was director of practice management at Centrix Group, which you mentioned. So that's that's a healthcare company. Uh, it focuses on providing anesthesia and emergency medicine services to, to hospitals uh, then around Texas and, and some other areas as well. And I was also chief operating officer for a healthcare software company called Antiva Health out of Austin, Texas. And um, you know, it was it was amazing to be around uh, such accomplished folks. Uh, you know, those CFOs and CEOs and OR directors, for example, of, of those hospitals, and uh, it was really interesting to glean things from them. But also, uh, I think what was um, what pushed me and motivated me uh, was the accountability of it. So, um, you know, for better or for worse, healthcare is a very serious um, operation, and I mean, you have. Uh, CRNAs or anesthesiologists that if they show up 10 seconds late to a procedure, then you're getting a call from the CEO saying what's going on with the service, et cetera. So there was a lot of accountability in that role. Um, and, you know, we, are, we were charged with making sure that uh, we delivered day in and, and day out. So that, that was a, um, I guess, an interesting place to uh, be forged by fire professionally and, and grow as a professional in, in, that, in that healthcare space. Do you think you noticed like a drastic difference in personality and stuff between like the CEO, the CFO and COO? Hmm. Um, maybe not. Uh, maybe not. I can't, I guess, identify anything specific personality wise, at least across, um, you know, different hospitals and working with different folks. There's nothing that jumps out at me, but mm. um, I will say that anyone uh, typically in, in that high level role in the healthcare setting uh, is there for a reason because uh, you, the, the profit margins within healthcare facilities are, you know, less than 2%. So you're talking about, uh, you know, really, really, um, really difficult and challenging issues. Our healthcare system in the U.S. is very complex and uh, you have to know a lot uh, and you have to be a really good leader, in my opinion, to, to lead in, in, in those settings. So um, I would say as a group, as a whole, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of really, really amazing leaders um, that, that I, I was able to learn from and, and interact with, et cetera. Nice. That's awesome. Um, all right. So, so now moving on because you, you're at uh you were at our pretty recently right yeah that's right i actually i just joined up with these guys in march so i'm you know i'm fairly new to the organization i've been following them for a really long time over two years now yeah um and the opportunity to to come on with them full-time presented itself earlier this year 
And, you know, um, I, I love my role at, at Intiva Health and, and Centrix Group. And I've been there for almost 10 years. So um, it was definitely a tough decision to, to move into a role with OUR. But at the same time, um, it, it's such an amazing cause, an amazing purpose to be a part of. So I feel blessed. And, I'm, and you know, my wife and I were so grateful uh, to be able to, to now work for this organization that we've been following for so long. Nice. So yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask next was what was the process between, um, you know, going from your current job to OUR and what was like the first point of contact and what was kind of the main thing that drew you to that? Was it just how uh, the cause for the OUR? Yeah, absolutely. So I first came in contact with OUR through a, a documentary called Operation Tucson, and that is on Amazon Prime. It's free if, if you have a Prime membership. I think it's a couple bucks if you don't, uh, you know, to rent it. And I, I would, you know, I'm not even encouraging people. I'm actually imploring people to watch that because it, it is it is a life-changing documentary. It really opens your eyes to uh, the world of sex trafficking, uh, how that affects children all around the world, even in the U.S. as well. People are surprised to learn that 30 to 40% of the cases that we work at OUR are actually right here in the U.S. So um, unfortunately, the, the demand uh, for such a heinous crime is so large uh, that this problem exists everywhere. And um, once I watched that documentary, it just, I couldn't forget about it. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, I worked in the for-profit space. I didn't really have a whole lot of affiliation with nonprofits. I, I'm not a social activist, if you will. But for whatever reason, this topic and this organization really just captured my heart um, and captured my attention. We even started... Uh, my wife and I, just we just wanted to start getting the conversation going. So we opened up lemonade stands and hot chocolate stands in our neighborhood. And we had our, our then three-year-old, two-year-old, one-year-old kids helping us sell lemonade and, and hot chocolate just so that we would have an opportunity to, to talk to folks in the neighborhood. Uh, and we we're even able to raise, you know, a few, few hundred dollars or whatever, just to shell over to, to OUR uh, during that process. And, and that's kind of what initially, you know, lit our fire and opened us up to the ability to kind of help in a, in a larger capacity. And so, um, you know, I don't know, it felt a little bit like divine intervention or, or what have you, but I just happened to take a look at their LinkedIn page earlier this year, and there was a role that was listed there. I'd had some experience working with investors of, of our healthcare company, our healthcare software company over the last few years. And so there was some overlap and skills and responsibilities with this role. And so, um, you know, the team was amazing to meet. Um, you know, uh, we have some very forward facing individuals in our, in our organization, Tim Ballard being one of them, obviously. Uh, but we have an amazing admin team as well uh, that don't always get, you know, the, the public eye, so to speak. And so to meet some of those individuals was, was, was a, a really great experience for me. And uh, within a few months, I was making the transition out of the role I was in into this, uh, this new development manager role with OUR. Nice. Awesome. So what, what again is your uh, kind of like main duties for the role that you have now? Yeah. So um, things like this, I mean, uh, you know, I'd really like to take a moment to, to recognize 
a couple of groups of individuals uh, within our organization that don't have the opportunity to really talk about what they do. And that, that's our operators. So we work with ex-law enforcement, ex-Navy SEAL, ex-CIA, ex-Force uh, Recon in the Marines. So there's a, a group of operators that we work with that work all over the world and they actually go undercover and they act like these monsters that actually want to engage in, in some kind of sexual activity with a child in order to gather evidence about these traffickers and these people that are selling them. Uh, they have hidden cameras on them. They have uh, audio devices on them that collect evidence because ultimately we want to liberate the children and we also want to build a case against these traffickers so that we can get them arrested. So right. that, that's what we do. We do these sting operations where we catch these people trying to sell and transact these, these kiddos. And then we're able to uh, work with local law enforcement in those areas to arrest them and then prosecute them and then ultimately put them behind bars. So um, I want to recognize our operators because they're really the faceless and nameless heroes of our organization. They don't get to come out, uh, obviously, because it would, it would jeopardize what they're doing around the world. Um, and the second group are, the, are our survivors. So we work with over 6,000 survivors of human trafficking and aftercare centers around the world. Um, and these also are individuals who need to maintain uh, confidentiality with their identity and, and where they are and what they're doing. Um, because we want to make sure that we, we keep a very uh, distinct line between the world that they were in and the world that they're in now. So we don't want them to be contacted by, uh, you know, anyone that they used to uh, be engaged with when they were being trafficked. And so, um, you know, those two groups of individuals, I mean, I cannot speak enough about the resilience and, and perseverance of those groups and what they experience and what they see and what they go through is really unfathomable for most. Um, and, it, it, you know, a couple years ago, if you would have told me that, uh, that this was happening right here in the U.S., you know, I, I knew of trafficking, I knew of sex trafficking and just thought it was something that, you know, happened in third world developing countries. It does happen there, but it also happens right here in the U.S. Um, and that's why I organize it. I wish that my job didn't exist. I wish that I wasn't here talking to you today, describing, you know, what I do for this organization. And, but, um, you know, we, we really are, OUR is, is really a light in, in a dark place. And there are other organizations that we partner with and work with as well uh, to collectively combat this issue around the world. Awesome. That is some heavy stuff and really, really awesome that you guys do that. Um, what is, what is something, so like, this is obviously a very heavy topic. So how do you kind of balance that in your daily life, but, and like not think about this all the time? You know what I mean? Well, like I said, you know, honestly, David, I can't even, I can't even picture my kids being in a situation like that. Like I don't have the mental capacity for that. I don't think. And so um, I'm just, you know, floored by what these kids experience. I mean, you know, people ask us all the time, what, why is this so prevalent and, and, and why does this exist? It's a $150 billion industry. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the history of the world. Um, and the reasons behind that are because you can, you can sell a bag of cocaine one time. Um, you can sell a precious child five to 10 times a day for years. And just to even imagine, you know, that, that world and that lifestyle, like you said, it, it is heavy. I also try to focus on the, the light of this too, that, um, you know, we're literally able to rescue these kids out of hell on earth and 
start them on their healing journey. So we connect them with professional resources. We connect them with um, scholarship opportunities, trade skill opportunities. We basically ask them, you know, what are you dreaming about? What do you want to accomplish in life? And then we do whatever we can to fund that and connect them with those resources so that they can get up on their feet uh, as they, you know, as they go through adulthood or all the way to adulthood. And then, and then they have something to pursue, um, you know, in, in their lives. So I try to focus, you know, on those success stories as well. And, and, you know, to date we've rescued over 3,600 survivors and we've arrested and prosecuted over uh, 2,000 traffickers and, and predators. So in six years, we've been able to accomplish that. And as I mentioned earlier, we work with over 6,000 individuals in aftercare as well. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of light to cling to. And that's yeah. what keeps us motivated and, and, and keeps us going. But it, it is certainly uh, challenging. Again, uh, I just have to highlight those operators and those survivors because they're the one that's really, they're the ones that are really living this reality. And so their, their persistence and their resilience is, is what motivates us as, as an admin team. And, and we're so grateful for their efforts. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so uh, like grateful for you guys just listening to all the things that you do and it's really inspiring. Um, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but like the so part of your duties is kind of like getting the name out there and kind of um, getting donations and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you, kind of break past the wall of, whoa, that's like a really heavy topic. I don't really want to talk about that. You know what I mean? So like in your sales process, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's, that's challenging. You know, I think I'm, I'm grateful for our marketing team and some of the content and resources that we have out there that really put the story together in a way that that's digestible. Um, it's not completely, you know, in your face and, uh, we'll see, you know, more or less how, how, how I'm able to do that as well. But, you know, there, what I've seen though, is that there are individuals who very quickly grasp the, the topic and, and for whatever reason, it just lights a fire in them. You know, they just, they just recognize the, the heinousness of it. They recognize the reality of it. And they say, I want to do something about this. And, uh, you know, Operation Underground Railroad, obviously, uh, that's a, uh, a name that, that, that is inspired by the Underground Railroad in the transatlantic slave days. And so just like, just like then, you know, um, there were, just like now there were individuals that, um, you know, just took ownership of, of the issue. They were, they were regular people, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, politicians or influential, influential folks. They were just regular people who had their eyes open to the issue uh, at some point in some way, Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, if you haven't read that book or heard of it, it, is is probably one of the first complete pieces that really um, was was uh, made available to the masses and, and it demonstrated the the heinousness and, and the rawness of, of the slave industry and what what some of these individuals uh, experienced. And similar to that, you know, there's just people who said, I, you know, I have two hands and I have a, a network or, or an influence of people, or I have a company and I can do something to, to make a difference. Even you right now on this podcast, I mean, you're, you're saying, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a whole lot of cash to offer, but uh, you know, I have an audience and, and, you know, let's sit down and, and discuss that. So it's really just about people taking ownership and, and doing whatever they can do to, to raise awareness and or resources uh, for us to continue in our mission. 
Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what's so, I, I know you've been there for kind of a limited period of time, but um, what's something that has surprised you that's completely different than what you had thought going in? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think I've, I've learned more about um, some of the techniques that our law enforcement officer or law enforcement partners use. Um, I had the, uh, I'm very grateful for this experience. I had the opportunity to go through actually one of the trainings that we provide to law enforcement officials about how to identify trafficking in your community, how to set up sting operations, how to catch these guys in, in the throw of it. Um, how to set up online sting operations and, and how to partner with uh, the legal system and partner with the, uh, the, the, um, the law enforcement system in order to make sure that, that these traffickers get put behind bars. So um, I, I've been learning a lot about some of those techniques. Um, the prevalence of it here in the U.S., again, was, was uh, very shocking to me. So um, there's been a lot of surprises, honestly. There's also some things that we do as an organization that aren't as, um, aren't as known, perhaps. Uh, I'll give you one example of that. We, we actually uh, train, fund, and donate uh, canine detect, device detection dogs. So I don't know if you've seen that, but basically um, what, what, they're able to, what these canines are able to do is they're trained to smell the glue that is in you know, thumbnail devices, external hard drives, things like that. And the reason why that's so important is because when, whenever you're investigating a crime scene or, or let's say that they identify a source of child pornography, where that's coming from. And so they're able to, um, you know, get a warrant to, to search that house. And a lot of times these guys are, are pretty crafty and, and they'll hide those things in safes. They'll hide them under the carpet. They'll hide them in the walls. And the last thing you want as a law enforcement official is to leave a crime scene without collecting enough evidence to actually prosecute that individual. And so these dogs are actually finding these devices in these hidden places, and that's ultimately leading to the arrest. And this is crazy, but the canines that we have trained, funded, and donated have led to over a hundred arrests of child predators, child online predators. If you can oh, believe that. my so, Lanta. You know, yeah, there, there's some things that, that we're doing as an organization that, that again, aren't as much on the surface. And I really enjoyed learning those things and, um, and educating, you know, the community about, about what we're doing there. Oh my God. That's amazing. Shout out to the canines. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. All right. So, well, if there, so anyone listening right now who is just kind of like a regular citizen, is there anything that they can do to, uh, help the cause? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking that question. So there's a couple things that I, always, always encourage people to do. So we have some training resources on our website, so OURrescue.org, and you can actually learn what the signs are of trafficking. So um, it's, I, it's a couple hours of material, and you're actually going to hear from our leadership team. They're going to walk you through identifying trafficking in your area. Um, this is, I love telling this story. There, there was a, a lady that went through this training and she actually identified a situation that seemed out of place in the airport. And she uh, kind of, you know, in a discreet way, asked the kid if, 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 uh, if she was okay. And she said, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable and I don't know who I'm with. 
And that actually led to us being able to free, uh, get that child out of there and, and arrest the trafficker. So, um, you know, that could be anybody. I mean, literally it could be anybody. And so we encourage people to educate themselves on that. That's step one. And step two is once you take that course, you're actually eligible to be a volunteer of ours. So there's a volunteer sign-up page. We do events, we do fundraisers, we do different campaigns, and we do them all over the U.S. And so it doesn't matter where you are. Um, sign up as a volunteer and we'll find a way to, to get you involved. Uh, the final thing I want to mention is that we have what we call our abolitionist club. We love our abolitionist club. And these are folks who have decided to commit a, a monthly donation to the organization. Uh, some folks donate $2 on a monthly basis and some folks donate, you know, up to thousands of dollars on a monthly basis. So whatever your capacity is, um, if you're feeling that tug on your heart, if you're feel, feeling that pull on your heart, be sure to join our apps club. Um, you're, you're a modern day abolitionist against modern day slavery. And we have some, you know, some cool exclusive content and things like that. Um, like I said, we love our apps club. And so, um, you know, if anyone wants to, to help the organization and, and donate and, you know, Another thing I always mention is that um, uh, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but you know we have the infrastructure as an organization to really tackle this issue. We have resources around the world. We have partnerships with law enforcement around the world and, and with uh, special agents in, in other countries and politicians in other countries. And so that allows us to kind of act freely in, in, in those areas as consultants and as informants, uh, all, all, again, within legal legal guidelines because we don't want to do anything that would jeopardize ultimately the, the arrest of those traffickers. So the reason why I say that is because um, I, I always encourage folks to kind of, you know, uh, if they want to really combat the issue and, and tackle it, look for those organizations that have that infrastructure um, and then, and then help them out because we, we need your help. Uh, and again, we've already established those, those lines of communication and those channels to really efficiently and effectively combat the issue. And so we're asking you to partner with us and, and join with us and, and help us fight. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So something that just kind of came to my mind right now while you were talking about that. Um, so with this issue, I'm sure you guys have kind of cultivated a pretty tight knit community of people that care about the cause and things like that. And I think there is a lot to be learned from, for, you know, like entrepreneurs and business people um, about how to get that really powerful community. So do you have any maybe tips or anything that you guys have done that have kind of helped create that really powerful community, maybe like events you've had or newsletters or any kind of like communication, stuff like that? Yeah, well, uh, that, that, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, and, and, uh, we always, of course, make it a point to um, make sure that that our, our team, our, our our family, we call it, um, that they know what we're doing and, and what we're about, right? We try to be completely transparent with them. Um, you know, we're always uh, reestablishing and, and refocusing the, the vision and the purpose of us as an organization, uh, which again is to liberate the 2 million children around the world that are stuck in sex trafficking. So, um, you know, certainly uh, regular communication is, is encouraged. Um, and also, um, also very, uh, very personal communication. I mean, we take it upon ourselves to make sure that we're individually reaching out to folks and, and, and thanking them for their support. Uh, if they've, if they've attended an event or participated in this that way, we want to give them personal thank yous and, and things like that. So um, those are all ways that you can, you know, in, encourage, um, you know, encourage continued support and things like that. 
but I think, you know, most importantly, it, it's really about our purpose and, and, and why we exist. And um, as an organization, I haven't been here that long, so I can say this objectively. I think that OUR has done a really good job of empowering everyone in the community to make a difference. And I think that's, that's really the key there is that you, you want to, you know, make sure that, that this is a big, huge global problem, right? I mean, it, more, it's, it, it's bigger than we are as an organization and probably that we'll ever be able to actually tackle us individually. And so that's why it's so important that we get communities together and we collaborate and, and we make sure that, um, that everybody has a place and a purpose and, and a contribution to this mission, because it, unless we all get together and make it happen, it's not going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that's, that's really, I think what fires me up about it. That's what I feel empowered to do um, as an individual who works for the organization is, is to create as much awareness as we can uh, so that everybody at least has an opportunity to make a decision as to whether or not they want to participate in this issue. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, man, I just had another question. Oh yeah, this is what, that's what I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> uh, so this might be a stupid question. I don't know, but I, this might be just from me not understanding how it works like behind the scenes, mm -hmm. but do you guys get any government help like either funding or otherwise? Yeah, so um, we have a little bit of gov government funding, uh, not to get too much in the weeds on this, but you know, most of our support is through private funding and it's through funding of corporations. So um, that, that's, really, uh, that's really the, the, the um, proponent of, of, our, of our donations. Uh, how we do work with government actually uh, is that we, we have partnerships with law enforcement, we have partnerships with um, governors and, and, and politicians and congressmen and women, and we want to make sure that um, everything we're doing is supporting the efforts that already exist within those communities, right, in terms of uh, combating human trafficking and, and child sex trafficking. So uh, we actually can come alongside them. Our director of operations has over 25 years of law enforcement, so uh, he does an excellent job of establishing really, really um, sound and collaborative partnerships with, with these government officials and law enforcement, um, and that's probably the the biggest um, connection that we have with with the government is is through our our operations uh, relationships. Nice, awesome. Um, so I'm I'm interested to hear your two cents on this stuff too, because in some of my other interviews, I feel like this comes up one way or another, and it's this idea of like passion and, and loving what you do. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of uh, differing opinions, and I kind of feel like I know where you're gonna stand, but I'll just tee you up anyways. Um, how important is that to you? How important is the passion of doing something that you, you feel strongly about? Yeah, um, that, that's a great question, you know, and, and everybody's, everybody's different and everybody draws motivation and, and passion from, from different things and, and different topics. And like I said, I, I, you know, I can't even take any credit for, for pursuit of this. I mean, it's almost like it just I just stumbled across this documentary a couple of years ago. I wasn't, I wasn't searching for it. I wasn't seeking out this information. Um, you know, I was bored one night just to be fully transparent with you. And, and after I watched it, it was like, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And, and I just, I just thought to myself, you know, I have to do something about this. I don't care what it is. I don't know what it is, but I have to do something about it. By the way, I'm, I have no military training. I have no law enforcement training. So I'm your average Joe and what the heck am I going to do about this? I'm not going to send myself undercover because I'll, I'll mess the whole thing up, you know? 
Um, and so we get a lot of questions about that. You know, you have to be uh, trained and experienced to help out. And the, the answer is absolutely not. I mean, anybody with a network and an influence of people can start making a difference right now, um, you know, by getting those people together and just making them aware that this issue exists. So I digress. But uh, to answer your question specifically, uh, I think it's incredibly important. You know, um, there's any number of things that most people can, can do with their life and with their time. Um, and I always say, you know, that, that, uh, there's lots of ways to make a paycheck. Um, and if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. So we've all heard that, that, that old saying. So, um, I'm, I'm, again, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed for this opportunity because it's almost like, um, I'd have to be dead inside not to be passionate about what I do on a yeah. daily basis because there's kids around the world that are crying out for help. They're literally living on in hell on earth. Um, and everything we do on a daily basis uh, gets us one step closer to, to liberating those kids. So that's what keeps me going. And uh, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity and, and obviously very passionate about it. And, and I would encourage anyone who has a, a passion to make a difference. You know, it, it's one thing to, to make a lot of money, um, which I'm not saying I'm making a lot of money, but uh, and it's another thing to, to get a paycheck and be able to make a difference in the world. Uh, and if you can find something like that, then I, you know, I would encourage you to, to seek that out because it's, it's worth, it's worth every penny that you, you might be leaving on the table somewhere else. That's, yeah. that's, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think it's a really interesting discussion because like some, I, myself, uh, I myself are like, am like this, but I know I've talked to other people where like, dude, I, I don't really know what my passion is. I don't really have like one thing that I'm super, uh, you know, set on. So I'm just kind of riding the wave, you know, I'm yeah. passionate about whatever I'm passionate about right now, but it's not my end all be all. And I know that if I just keep following that path, eventually, um, I'm just going to land on something that I love forever. And, and even if I don't, I'm just continuously riding the wave of like, okay, this is what I'm passionate about now. Maybe I'm not going to be passionate about a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, but I'm just going to ride the wave, you know? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s. And like I said earlier, I spent over 10 years in the healthcare space. And I, you know, I would have 10 years ago, I would have never thought that something was going to totally derail me from that and, and just, you know, light a fire in me to do something else. So I think, you know, I think your approach makes a lot of sense. You know, you just got to, you got to pursue and run after the opportunities that are in front of you. Um, and then one day you never know, you might just stumble on something that's just totally going to catch your you know, attention, your heart and, and shift you in a different direction. And I say, go for it. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, all right, cool. Well, I know you kind of alluded to it earlier, but before we kind of sign off here, um, just mention one more time where people can find you, uh, and where people can go if they want to help out. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you can find out just about anything you want to know at OURrescue.org. If you have a question beyond that, please reach out to our administration team at info at OURrescue.org. Um, great group of people. A lot of them are volunteers even. Uh, so they're passionate about the cause. And if you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to reach out to them. Uh, one other email address I'm going to give you, if, if you own a business or, or you're, um, you have influence within that organization, maybe you're on their board or, or you're part of their executive team, you can also reach us at partnerships at OURrescue.org as well. We have a lot of corporate partnerships, corporate donors, uh, corporate collaborators that we work with to put on events and things like that. And we always welcome those opportunities. And that actually comes straight to me. 
Um, so, you know, we'll have an opportunity to, to chat and I'd love to hear more about your ideas. So please reach out to us. And one more plug for Operation Toussaint. It's on Amazon Prime. I would encourage everyone to watch that as well uh, because it's really enlightening and it gives so much more detail than I did today about the foundation of our organization, about Tim Ballard and about sex trafficking as, as a whole. Um, you know, if, if you want to learn more about how to get involved and, and join the fight. Nice. Beautiful. All right. We'll, we'll sign off there. And uh, yeah, thanks for sticking with us and hope you have an amazing day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All right. What a great episode that was, huh? Huh? All right, guys. Hope you guys have a good one. Signing off here. Please, please, please make sure you check out those resources that Gary was talking about. Check out um, OUR. Go on their website. Check out Tim Ballard. Check out Operation Toussaint, the documentary. And uh, if you have the financial means to donate, um, you know, if you feel a call, if you feel like this is a a good cause, which I obviously do. uh, Yeah. And if you guys would be so kind as to leave me a review wherever you are listening, whether it be Spotify, Apple, if you're one of those crazy people that listens on a third party app like Anchor or whatever. Just kidding. I don't discriminate. I actually use Anchor to upload and keep track of all the episodes and things like that anyways we're getting off topic listen leave me a review and help me spread the word about this podcast uh those those reviews really help me out and please uh again check out those resources uh that gary was talking about and i'll see you guys on the next episode peace